0: Healthcare leadership is hard work, but what if you could learn from the most brilliant and influential minds in healthcare and beyond? What would you ask them? Would you ask about politics, policy, or maybe leadership? On the Gary Bisbee Show, I'll do just that. You'll hear from healthcare's most successful leaders and those experts who they listen to, as together we'll explore how the health economy is transforming. Why would the CEO of one of the largest companies in healthcare leave to become president of a much smaller, albeit high-performing partnership? Dawn Owens did just that, and she became CEO of Triple Tree Holdings, a highly successful merchant bank. She has a unique philosophy about taking risks to pursue attractive leadership opportunities. In doing so, she followed a founder and long-standing CEO which I know from personal experience, is not an easy task. Why did she make this transition? How does she justify the risk? We'll get to the key criteria that Dawn used for this career-defining decision. Dawn has a very wise perspective on leadership, whether hiring the right people, motivating and managing teams, maintaining a flexible mindset, or building a diverse organization. Dawn is a highly successful leader who knows how people tick and how to motivate them, all of which we'll explore in this conversation. Good morning, Don, and welcome.
1: Good morning, Gary, great to see you.
0: We're pleased to have you at this microphone. You've done a fantastic job at Triple Tree and before that at Optum Health, so we're eager to dig into lessons learned there. And why don't we start right off with the leadership question Looking back on your career, what are the major leadership lessons that you've learned?
1: Well, Gary, it's an important question and one that I reflect on quite often. If I were to summarize it, first and foremost, I've found that when I am doing what I love, what I enjoy, what I'm passionate about, I can be very good at it and infectious as it relates to my role as a leader. But it's a lot more than that. Second thing is the importance of a team. As you ascend into leadership positions, as you know, it can't be all about you. It has to be about the people who are around you and who are a part of the organization you're leading. And so, really getting a great team, having alignment with that team, frankly, both professionally as well as personally as a leader is super important. Third thing for me has been the importance of putting myself in a position where I'm constantly learning and growing, where I'm not just doing the same thing over and over again. I like the freshness of learning new things and applying those learnings. And then finally, as I reflect back, being willing to take calculated risks in my career. It isn't always about having a clear path to some big high goal of being the CEO of this or that, but rather, how do I apply who I am, what I'm passionate about with the opportunity to learn, and where do I take risks to pursue new things that I can continue to satisfy my career objectives with. So I would say those are the things that have been important to me over the years.
0: We're going to cover the risk question in several specific topics that we'll get to in a minute, but in terms of the team and hiring people that fit the team and the culture and your preferences and so on. Any tricks there? How do you go about identifying and hiring the right people?
1: That's a great question. And I would say it's probably one of the hardest things for anyone to do well and to do consistently. And you have to recognize that sometimes you're not going to get it right. And you also have to be willing to deal with that well as well. But as it relates to building your team, I think one of the things I've really kind of evolved in my perspective over the years is not everybody is like me and not everybody has to be like me. And in fact, I am better when I am surrounded by people who not only bring different experiences, different perspectives or skill sets functionally, but also as it relates to personality and style. Now, we all have to be on the same page as it relates to the mission, to the strategy and to the culture. but as you think about those other things you are much stronger with a mosaic of diversity that is less about how you look and is more about what you bring to the table within an organization so one that's been super important secondly within that really thinking about in the role that you're hiring for what elements are most important right so i Today, I have a particular leader in our organization, and we couldn't be more different as it relates to how we like to work, how we like to prepare, and I would say even our risk tolerances. But we complement one another exceptionally well. And I would say when we first started working together, it was a very bumpy road. We really struggled because I did not provide her with what she needed to feel comfortable and successful. And I would be frustrated by her because she was always like a speed block as it related to what we wanted to do. And we actually, however, recognized the strengths that we each brought to the equation. And so we worked really hard to seek to understand one another, seek to understand what each other's needs were and expectations were, so that we could shift the way in which we worked together to get the best out of each other so that we could drive the business forward and have become just a a really strong team. In fact, I was saying to this person the other day, I said, I want you to continue to challenge me. I want you to continue to tell me the things that I don't necessarily want to hear. That's what I need from you. But what I also need from you is a trust in me that there are going to be times where I can take that advice, and we can run down that path that you're suggesting. And other times where you have to trust me that I know it, I've got it covered, but we're going to go in a different direction. And I think the more you recognize, like you say to your children, right, you don't need to just talk louder to be heard. You need to be wiser about what you're saying so that you can be heard and understood. And I'd, I'd say that's been a really important ingredient and learning for me as it relates to building a team, finding the right people, and being the right leader so that those people can thrive and excel.
0: It also speaks, if you ask me, to your confidence as a leader, Don. because a lot of people mouth the words, yeah, sure, you can challenge me, but a lot of people really don't want that. And in your case, it sounds like you actually seek it out.
1: Well, I, I think it speaks to knowing what you're good at and knowing where you're blind spots or are just areas that you're not as strong in. I recognize that I cannot, especially as you ascend into general management roles and leadership in, in a general management arena, you don't know everything. you can't know everything. I am in a in an industry that is highly regulated where compliance and is is a really important element of what we do. And I am not the expert in that. And so I have to, one, be a very effective communicator about what we're doing as a business so that the right people are aware of all the things that are going on. But then I also need to listen to them around how do we calibrate our strategies and activities so that we can satisfy various requirements that are put upon our business so i think it's really important especially as you ascend into executive leadership positions to not only know what you're good at but know where you need help
0: tell us about the young dawn and particularly in terms of leadership at what point did you discover that you were a good leader and enjoyed doing it
1: the young dawn and the dawn of today still is passionate about helping people solving problems helping individuals solve problems, helping organizations solve problems, and being a part of the solution, hopefully not a part of the problem. And so that is what drove me very early on in my career. And again, I I loved to learn. And so I loved to understand the detail. And frankly, at that point in my career, be the expert, be the person who knew more than anyone else, and was able to take that knowledge and apply it into problem solving. And so it made for me, an environment where I was able to apply that and be very successful first as an individual contributor. And in most organizations, if you're good at something and you're passionate about something and you do it well as an individual, you tend to start to have the opportunity to lead small teams or have other people kind of be a part of that at different functional leadership level. But I would say early on and maybe One of the things that I, in hindsight, would say was one of my real blind spots as I started to take on leadership positions, and I'll say more about what those were, but they were generally functional leadership, right? Leading people in my function. thought everybody was motivated by what I was motivated by. I thought everybody wanted to do the role, the job, the way I wanted to do it. And I also did not have an appreciation for how people's lives and their life stages affected how they approached their work. Because again, I was young, I was single, I didn't have anything to do other than work. And so I put everything into work and I put everything into learning. And, you know, I was optimistic and all of those things. And that can be really powerful as a leader, but it also can only take you so far. And so I wasn't sympathetic to the guy who wanted to catch one of his kids' soccer games and wanted to pick up the work afterwards. I I was not as open-minded or tolerant to those types of things. So I would say I was pretty focused in a way that was both good, but also really limiting as it related to my effectiveness and being leader. And I'll never forget one of my I'll call it first half of my leadership career life cycle. I had taken over a team that was eh, an average team, let's call it. And I was establishing myself in a very new industry for me with a new team. And I was getting to know this guy. We were talking about what he was doing. And, and I, at some point in the conversation said, you know what? That's just not acceptable. That just doesn't work. And, and, and the guy comes back to me and he says, he looks at me and he says, you know you say that way too much. And you know what? That doesn't work with me. So, so we're gonna have to figure out like what this is, how this works differently. But it was a good kind of wake-up call for me that not everybody's the same, that I have to flex my style, that I have to flex my not expectations because I think you still expect excellence, but how you get it is different. and and what you expect of a person based upon who they are and what they what their expectations are shapes how you lead and manage.
0: What about your parents? Did you pick up any of your leadership traits or characteristics from your parents?
1: You know, my mother was a nurse and practiced in medicine in a number of different environments. My father was a teacher who became a union manager organizer. So I would say what I picked up from my parents was grit, determination. And frankly, they expected a lot of me and I had a lot of responsibility. My parents were divorced when I was very young. So I was super independent very early on, probably in ways that today everybody would be horrified by. My parents expected a lot from me and just assumed I could do it all. And they kind of said, you can do whatever you put your mind to. What they didn't do, and, and I don't fault them for this, it just was the environment that I grew up in, They didn't paint a picture of what that could mean from a professional perspective, from a career perspective. Business, if you will, was not something that was really in our orbit of understanding. And so I would say I had a pretty narrow view of the world and what a professional journey might look like as I grew up. Obviously, it worked out fine, but I would say they gave me really important elements of what shaped who I was and how I believed what I could do and what I could accomplish.
0: Well said. We're all kind of interesting situations relative to our parents and others that influence us through the years. About half of the viewers of this show are up-and-comers in their 30s and 40s. And you're obviously a tremendously successful leader. What advice, just off the top of your head, Don? what advice would you give up and coming leaders?
1: A couple of things that I think are really important. First off, there's a lot of wisdom if you allow there to be that you capture in your career as you journey through your life and your career. And, and frankly, careers are not straight lines, right? They zigzag. And your passion about things zigzag, your satisfaction, your frankly, trajectory can change over time. And so I think having someone in your professional orbit who can really act as a mentor to you to kind of help you keep things in perspective, to help you look around the corner, who can help you navigate internally or an externally an organization, I think that is a very important relationship. And I would say it doesn't have to be formal in a mentorship program, but I think that's a, that's a really important person or people to have in your life. Professionally, I probably didn't value mentorship as much as I should have or could have early in my career, but I see the power of it today. So I'd, I'd say that's number one. Second is not only does your career zigzag, your life zigzags. I talked about who I was as a leader when I was early in my career, when I had nothing to do but work. Right where I put, I poured so much of my energy into work. Well, time went on. I got married, I had kids and my priorities evolved. And so being realistic about what are not only your career goals, but your life goals and how you reconcile those things and how you make those things work. And I am a big believer in, you do have to make choices. And at some times there are trade-offs. If I wanted to go to every kid event, that exists with my children today, I probably couldn't do the job that I do, especially when we start getting back on airplanes. It's been a little nice with COVID because I've been able to, to do more of that given not traveling. But you know, my husband and I have had to make choices around how he spends his time personally and professionally and how I spend my time personally and professionally to make my ability to be the leader that I am and the demands that that requires work in our family to have the family cohesion that, that we expect and want. But if I expected that I had to do all of that and be the leader that I am, I would be crushed. And frankly, I wouldn't be able to do it for the long haul. So I think those choices matter a lot as well. And then the final thing I'd say on the things I'd, I'd think about as a younger up and coming professional is, I would focus less on, I wanna get to this place and what, what are all the steps to get there? And I would focus on what you're passionate about, what gives you energy and being willing to not over-focus on the optics of what's the world going to say about the decision you just made about your career, but how are you going to feel and are you going to be satisfied and fulfilled? Because when those things come together, generally, you can be exceptionally successful career-wise.
0: Let's turn to your professional career. I think you've been in healthcare, almost all of it. I don't know if your interest came from your mother, the nurse, or how did you become interested in healthcare?
1: My mother, obviously, as a nurse, my mother's brother was a physician. So very young age, I wanted to be a physician. And for many reasons, obviously, I didn't become a physician. I joked around when I was at Optum Health, leading Optum Health, I would say, I may not be a physician, but I play one on TV, meaning I could speak (laughs) credibly about clinical things. I'm certainly not a physician. But I was surrounded by healthcare. My sister is now a nurse. So, surrounded by healthcare, I graduated from college with a degree in German and international business. So, you can see I'm really using that. Also, another lesson, obviously, those things don't matter as much as you start that professional journey. So, it happened pretty naturally. And I think once I got into the business of healthcare, what I realized how vast and diverse and dynamic it was, you know, I started selling health. Plan solutions, benefits to employers, right? And that was my world. That was my narrow view of healthcare. And as I grew professionally and applied my skills into other parts of United Health Group, which was a wonderful place to grow professionally because it was such a diverse set of businesses within United Health Group, I realized just how big the healthcare marketplace is and how many different facets of it are. And so it just was a very natural kind of progression and and place where, frankly, there's uh, both so much greatness in our healthcare system, but yet so much opportunity to continue to evolve and change and grow and needs that need to be met, not just at a personal individual patient level, but at a systemic level as well.
0: So you're currently the CEO of Triple Tree Holdings, and we'll ask you in a minute to share more with us about Triple Tree Holdings. But I'd like to ask the question regarding when you went to Triple Tree, you went as the president, but you left the Optum Health CEO job, so CEO to president. And you made the point earlier about your passion as opposed to what people are going to think about the job. But a lot of people would be concerned about giving up a CEO title for a president's title. How did you work your way through all that, Don?
1: yeah thanks for asking the question gary a couple things first off it was the second time i had made a transition like that where on paper it didn't make sense right and i would say didn't make sense not just from a title and scope but even from the size of the organization so let's focus on the example that you are asking about you know i was the ceo of optum health let's call it a five plus billion dollar multi-line business at the time And I was the CEO and and doing well and very successful. Now look at TripleTree, a merchant bank in healthcare, meaning we focused on healthcare, but by all definitions, a small business. I had thousands, tens of thousands of employees internationally at Optum Health. I had less than 100 employees at TripleTree. I was the president. I was moving into an industry, frankly, where I knew a lot about the area that was the focus of the business, but in an industry that I had never been a part of and was not equipped on the surface to really be the CEO by, by any means. So I made that transition because it goes back to themes that I spoke about. What am I passionate about? I'm passionate about healthcare. What am I passionate about? Solving problems and growing and learning, learning being a really important part. And I saw this, I I had plenty of opportunities when I left United Health Group to pursue a career path that would have gotten me in that CEO chair and would have been very comfortable as it related to the type of business I would be leading because I had led businesses like that before. And I saw this career moment in time as an opportunity to take a risk to see if I could apply who I was as a leader into something different and continue that growth journey that I had had kind of evident throughout my career. And so I saw it as a really exciting opportunity to learn a new industry and to become a new in a fairly senior position, but yet still be an expert and be able to contribute and so forth. And it and it happened, it played out beautifully, obviously, as I sit here today as the CEO of that business and successfully navigated a founder transition, which was part of that plan. But I had to be willing to focus on those things that were my true north as opposed to, I would say, the world's optics of judging me on what I should be doing.
0: How did you manage going from a huge organization to a a smaller company like TripleTree?
1: Well, I will say part of TripleTree, we have two parts of our business, investment banking and principal investing. And in the principal investing, we run private equity funds, early stage growth equity funds. So we're always looking for people to come into these young businesses that we are investing in that know the domain and can help advance that business. And we see a lot of people who come out of large corporate America like I did and want to go into that private company space, smaller company, entrepreneurial company. And the biggest question we have to figure out for those people is not whether they have the knowledge, but whether they can apply that knowledge into that smaller company context to your question. And it's hard, right, because the reality is you don't appreciate fully the abundance of resources that you have in a large company perspective. Now you also have matrix and et cetera. And you you probably don't own exactly quite as many things. And in a smaller company contract, you own it all. The buck truly stops with you and you have to do much more yourself, right? So you are the marketing expert. You are. So despite what I said, and it's still true that you got to rely upon your team and you've got to have a team of people with diverse experiences, You also have to do much more yourself. You have to be much more creative around how to get things done. You need to manage cash in a much different way. There are lots of different things that are different that, again, you have to recognize and be willing to work within those trade-offs to be successful in that smaller company, more entrepreneurial private company context.
0: You know, another obvious question is that When you became CEO, you followed the founder of the company, you moved to chairman, but there's uh, bunches of stories about people who have followed founders, and it can be a really difficult transition. How have you managed that, Don?
1: Well, like you said, it can be a, a challenging transition. And I would say it takes two to tango, and it takes two to make that transition work well. And I think it starts with the founder, right? And so in this instance the founder of TripleTree Kevin Green had been doing a lot of soul searching thinking and frankly talking to executives who had made that transition of what went right, what went wrong, what would they do different, how would they benefit others from the journey that they had been on. And I think through that Kevin realized what was important in the characteristics of a person coming into the business to potentially be that founder. And it wasn't preordained because you need to see if the vision of what could be actually plays itself out. So coming in, I I would say he and I had really good alignment around what would we need to both be comfortable with and satisfied with to know whether that transition was something that was going to work. And how would we develop the trust the knowledge and the ability to work through that transition. And and we did it. It was hard. We had to take that trust and apply it to communicating, not just about what was going on, but how we were feeling, more how how he was feeling through that transition. Areas where I probably was not as sensitive to a founder's point of view and the absolute care and passion and sacrifice that had been made on a journey of 20 years. And so how I needed to, again, reframe my mindset around what success looks like, just like I had early in my career around, it wasn't just about being the expert, but it's about navigating that expertise with sensitivity, culturally, relationally, et cetera, that allowed us to succeed. But I would say it started with him because he had a clear vision of what he wanted to do and was really thoughtful about it. The journey involved a commitment to communication and talking about the good and the bad and the challenging and committed to solving through those things together. And for me personally, it forced me to reframe or to make sure that I was really putting myself in in his shoes to be sure that I was navigating that transition in a way that not only worked for the business, because that was fine, but worked for him. And I would say we would both say today, that not only was it a successful business transition, we are partners, we are friends, we are committed to the success and, and the generational opportunities for the business in a way that, you know, had had we not done this, could not have been fulfilled.
0: Good for both of you, as you point out, it is tricky. And, and particularly in that line of business where relationships are so important, that's a tough transition. Give Kevin my best, he's a great guy. Don, how did things go in 2020 or even up through now in terms of the pandemic? How did that affect the business and how were you able to adjust?
1: So, 2020 was a tense and challenging year for everyone. You know, I, I would say there's not a business that wasn't touched by the pandemic, obviously and we were certainly not immune to that you know if you look at our business the investment banking business which is where the business started when it was when kevin founded it 22 plus years ago is a transaction business you need to help a company sell itself or to get more capital in to create a transaction and when you do that you get paid that doesn't happen, you don't get paid. Not dissimilar to elective surgeries, right? You don't do that hip replacement, you don't get paid for that service. And so when the pandemic hit, the markets froze up, and there was, there was no transacting. And that's where a large portion of our cash flow comes from. So we knew that we needed to manage cash. But we also knew that we had a great business that was very strong And we wanted to continue to invest in growth and prepare for when the market eventually opened up. And so I would say it required a shift of priorities. It required a focus of how to use that time when we weren't transacting to continue to build our business. It required keeping our people focused and informed and secure and inspired. And it required us to continue to be present in the marketplace, albeit in a virtual way. And we were able to do all of those things such that when the lights came back on, our business was super well prepared to take advantage of a market that was very active and I'm talking about the investment banking, the story is a similar arc, just plays out differently on, on the investing side. But as a result of that, we in Triple Tree Holdings, which both parts of our business, had the best years in our company history as we went through the pandemic, but only because we were able to be intentional about how we navigated through the journey and our team you know it's we're a people business right we don't succeed because i'm all that great we succeed when we unlock the talent and the team and the individuals that make up our organization to deliver great outcomes for our clients for our investors for our portfolio companies that we're invested in and i'm really pleased and fortunate and honored to say that we were able to do that through the 2020 season
0: Well, congratulations. Terrific outfit. When did the lights come on, by the way? Was it third quarter, fourth quarter? Yeah,
1: really the third quarter, the third quarter, our fourth quarter. And again, we prepared for this, but we did as much business in our fourth quarter as we did in the prior year. So you just jammed a lot in, but you did a lot of work to get to that point. You didn't wait until the lights came back on. And then on the investing side, Your pace of investing changed because you're really focused on your portfolio companies that are healthcare services and technology companies and helping them navigate through what happened to their market dynamics, right? Was the market buying more of their services, which in some instances that like companies that supported virtual health, they were on fire and it was, you know, how do they hire enough people and how do they continue to scale and deliver and take advantage of that environment to others that were providing services where there wasn't as much demand for. So how do you navigate that, focus on those things, but also focus on monetizations, liquidity events, investing, et cetera. And we were able to really strike that balance as well. So it it turned out well. If I could
0: follow up on an earlier point you made about diversity and the fact that you look for that and count on that and design your team to be that, but healthcare and finance are two areas that have not been very good about gender diversity, that's for sure. I've seen numbers in healthcare, 80% of the workers are women and 20% of the leaders are women. Probably that or maybe even worse in finance. So here you are in both healthcare and finance. Have you had to make any adjustments through your career due to the fact that you're a woman or how do you think about that, Don?
1: it is an important question and i have thought about that question a lot over the the arc of my career so you know as i stand back i would say i personally i've been very fortunate i i do not feel that i've had to not be genuine not be me to be successful i do need to and I think every person, no matter your gender, no matter the color of your skin, etc., need to understand how I show up as a leader, as an individual, and make sure that how I show up is how I need to show up to be successful in that context. How I speak to you or how I lead you or navigate a situation isn't just dependent upon me, right? I talked about it with respect to the transition with the CEO position within TripleTree, it takes two of us. And so being mindful about who I am, my style, how I communicate, how I lead, how I manage, and what the other party needs, super important. And I've had to make adjustments along the way in my career. I don't look at that as a female issue, even though some of maybe the ways I show up style-wise might be because I'm a woman. But I don't think I need to do that because I'm a woman. I think a man needs to do it, everybody needs to do it. However, there are expectations that we all put upon ourselves as far as what life should look like. And I think at times it is harder for women who want to have families, who want to be involved with their children, who have certain priorities that are wonderful priorities important priorities. And it is harder to navigate those priorities and take on executive leadership roles in any industry, quite candidly. It's hard. It's a hard balancing act. And so for me and for my family, I would say we've been intentional about saying, I believe that in life there are always trade-offs. And so what does that look like? And in our family, it's meant that I am the career professional and my husband is a career professional applied into our family, meaning he is the one who's there at all the parent teacher conferences, driving the kids back and forth to school, meeting with the teachers and helping them as they go through their life journey. When I'm on the road traveling or doing what I need to do professionally and. So, we, when I talked about you need to have people in your life that as mentors, well, I'd say you need that personally and professionally. It doesn't have to be in the context of a marriage. For us, it is, but that where you've got that, that true partnership and where you can kind of together approach those goals that you have and how it plays out. But I think if you're not realistic about that, again, irrespective of who you are, I think you set yourself up for, challenges and disappointments and burnout in ways that don't help you be the best you in whatever that means as far as your goals and the way you show up. So that's how I think about the topic. You know, I think diversity is critical. I think having the right team is critical. And when those two things come together, it's magical. But I don't approach diversity for a diversity sake. I approach diversity because I actually think it makes me and the organization better.
0: Yeah, that's a terrific view, very balanced view. And it's an important topic as you observe. What's the trend, Don, just by your observation? Are we making progress in this area?
1: I think in a lot of ways we are. There is an organization, Women on Boards, 5050, or I'm getting the name not exactly right but focuses on getting women into board positions, public and private companies, a lot of focus on the public side. And if you just look at what raising awareness has done, I'm not going to say mandates, I'm going to say raising awareness to the importance of diversity, you'd say we're making progress. I'd say it's hard-fought progress. I think where, frankly, it needs to start is at developing professional women, men of diverse backgrounds and so forth that ascend into leadership because as leaders then you become board members right but but there's progress being made and i think just having the conversations providing the mentorship and support helping people understand and navigate what they need to do to achieve those kind of milestone levels is an important piece but i'd also say we have to be careful not to judge that just because a person has decided that they they may have every ability to be an executive leader but choose a different path for priority-wise, that's not a failure of the system. We need to honor that choice too. We need to celebrate that choice too. We want more diversity. We want more women leaders. We want more diversity ethnicity-wise, but we also need to honor the choices people are making and not look at it as a failure when they don't pursue that.
0: Don, this is a great place to land, an absolutely terrific interview. We very much appreciate your time and thanks for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, it's been great. Thanks, Gary.
0: New episodes will debut every Thursday. Join me in conversations to gain advice and wisdom from CEOs, presidents, and healthcare experts. Healthcare leadership is hard work but it becomes more manageable as we learn from the remarkable lives and careers of our guests. I'll see you there.